The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Subscribe to Inclusion Revolution Radio wherever you can get podcasts. Aw, you didn't have to go so all out for my birthday. Yes, we did. Because birthdays are about showing your friends how much you care for them and how grateful you are for them. This is Jamie from Progressive. No, this is a great time. Progressive protects you 24-7. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry that happened. <clears throat> Jamie. Can you hold on one second? Uh, I gotta take this call. But remember, birthdays are about togetherness. Contact us 24-7 on the phone, online, or on the mobile app. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Covered subject to policy terms. Hello, everyone, and welcome into Stacking the Box. I'm your host, Matt Verderam, and we have a great show for you today. We'll talk about the Kirk Cousins situations and where he might land in 2018, including one current contender. And we'll also speak with Joel Corey of CBS Sports about contract situations around the league and fan-sided zone Ray Rivard getting his thoughts on the roster alongside Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. And then finally, we're going to go a little in-depth on the Steelers and the Giants two of the bigger boom-or-bust teams going into this season. But let's start off the week with Cousins and what this season means for both him and the Redskins. Cousins is on the second franchise tag. He was tagged last year by Washington, and he turns 29 years old in August. Now, we're recording this on the Monday, the franchise tag deadline day, a couple hours before the deadline, but all indications are showing that He's going to play the year out on the tag and then go into, most likely, free agency next season. On the tag this year, he's making $24 million after making a smidge over 20 last year. So it's certainly not a bad way to make a living if you're Kirk Cousins. That being said, you're not getting the long-term stability that you always want to have in the NFL. Of course, any position you're one hit away from your career being over. We saw that in the 80s with Joe Theismann in Washington, breaks his leg, end of it. Cousins has been a starter in this league for two years, and we've seen him grow from 2015 to 2016. Last year, he threw for 4,917 yards, 25 TDs, 12 picks, completed 67% of his throws, and an 8.11 yards per attempt. And that was third in the NFL, as were, by the way, his total yards, 4,900. Completion percentage was eighth, and the 25 touchdowns ranked 13th in the league, so a little bit closer to average in the rest of those statistics. Pro Football Focus ranked him as the ninth best quarterback in the league last year, which I think is is fairly accurate. I might put him around 10th, 11th, but you're splitting hairs at that point. This is a quarterback in the prime of his career. 
He's only been a starter for the two years, like I mentioned earlier. So this is not a guy who's been taking a lot of hits. In the two years that he's been a starter, they have gone 9-7 and seven and 8-7-1, and one, which isn't overly impressive on the surface. But when you factor in that the roster hasn't been great, that the head coach is good in Jay Gruden, but I don't think anybody feels like Jay Gruden is the next coming of Vince Lombardi. Cousins has done a heck of a job. And consider this. Since Daniel Snyder bought the team, the last two years, it's the first time that the Redskins have had consecutive winning seasons. So what does that say about Kirk Cousins and the job he's done? He took over what was a disaster of a situation with Robert Griffin III getting hurt, flaming out. Now he's completely out of the league. And Cousins takes over, and nobody thought that team was even a six-win team, and they won the NFC East. Now, weak division, playoffs come around, Green Bay came into FedEx Field and took care of business. But the point remains that Cousins has been one of the more prolific quarterbacks in the league over the last two years. Throwing for 9,000 yards. You can win with a guy throwing for 9,000 yards over two years. And he's done so with a nice collection of talent, with Jordan Reed, one of the better tight ends in the league, Deshaun Jackson, who's since moved on to Tampa Bay, Pierre Garçon, he's moved on to the 49ers, replaced by Terrell Pryor. But Cousins is a guy that it's shocking to me he's got to play on the tag two years in a row. We talked to Marcus Moser last week, freelance writer for FanRag, Bleacher Report, soon to be here at FanSided. And he said that he didn't believe that the Redskins are making a mistake because Kirk Cousins is quarterback purgatory. And maybe there's some truth to that. I happen to believe that if you put a really good team around Kirk Cousins, you can win a Super Bowl. And I'm not talking a situation where the team has to be an all-time team and Cousins is along for the ride. I just mean a good team, a good, solid-type team. And if you have a guy like that hitting free agency at age 29, he is going to get paid. We're going to talk to Joel Corey, who's a cap expert over at CBS Sports, former NFL agent coming up next. And I'm going to ask him about what he believes Cousins is worth on the free agent market. I'm going to go ahead and guess that he'll say he will be the highest paid player in NFL history. When you start talking about supply and demand, there is no... At Progressive, you can get 24-7 protection, even if you break the space-time continuum. Wait, every time you wake up is the same day? That's terrible. Yeah, don't worry. I call Progressive. Their 24-7 protection still works, even if my day does last forever. Yeah, but don't you want it to end? Are you kidding? I win the lottery whenever I want and never regret anything. It's the best. Yeah, that's a good point. Progressive offers more than a great price when you bundle home and auto. We offer round-the-clock protection, which literally means anytime. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers and subject to policy terms. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. Supply of good to really good in their prime quarterbacks in the NFL. There, it doesn't exist. Teams don't let those guys go. He hits the free agent market. You are going to see an avalanche of offers going toward him. You think Derek Carr getting 525 is something? Cousins is going to eclipse that and then some, in my opinion. But again, we'll have Joel Corey on, and he will give us a much more insightful opinion on that considering his background. But let's just say for a minute that Cousins gets out of Washington, plays the year, plays well, has 45, 4,600 passing yards and 27 touchdowns. The Redskins can still tag him, but it would cost, I believe, $34 million on the tag. 
There's no way that's happening. They could apply a transition tag to him, which is possible, but in all likelihood, he would still move at that juncture. Very hard to see the Redskins keeping him, although they would have the right to match. If he ends up on the free agent market, which teams are going to be looking hard at him? And and when I went through the list, I came up with seven that I believe would be plausible fits. The Jets, the Bills, the Jaguars, the Vikings, the Saints, the Cardinals, and the 49ers. I don't think Jacksonville's going to be in the running only because he picked up Bortles' option. Now, they could move on from it, but I think they're showing a belief that Bortles can be better than he's been. Of course, new head coach, Doug Marone. We'll see what happens there. I don't get the sense, though, that Jacksonville would be in the running as much as you would think just looking on the surface. The Saints, the 49ers, the Vikings, and the Jets, I feel are the four front runners because they would have no financial reason not to pursue Cousins. None of them would be precluded. Now, the Vikings, though, keep in mind, we don't know about Teddy Bridgewater. We don't know if he can come back from what was a grotesque knee-slash-leg injury. Sam Bradford, his contract's up after this year. I don't think anybody believes that Sam Bradford's the answer. So the Vikings are a dark horse. The Saints, Drew Brees, his contract's up after this season. He's 39 years old. At some point, general manager Mickey Loomis is going to have to just move on and try to retool. I would say to completely tear it down would not be a bad option in New Orleans, but doesn't seem that that's something Loomis has ever wanted to do. So maybe he tries to reload, gets Cousins, and they continue their high-flying attack. The 49ers, it's obvious why the fit is there. Kyle Shanahan, new head coach, was the offensive coordinator with Cousins. There's been a lot of smoke about that, and I'm one who tends to believe when there's smoke, there's fire. The 49ers, they could have drafted a quarterback if they wanted to this year. They didn't. In fact, they traded back and accumulated more picks wisely, I might add. They went with a stopgap. Brian Hoyer is there, and that tells me that they believe their quarterback is next year. Whether that's in the draft or it's Cousins remains to be seen. And we'll we'll circle back to that on just a second. And then the Jets have more money than they know what to do with. They also have more quarterbacks than they know what to do with, but all of them range from being atrocious to low ceiling. So Cousins could be a fit there. But I think the Jets are going to have the first overall pick in the draft. And I don't think you're going to spend $150 million on a quarterback who's 29 years old when your team is in total rebuild. I just don't buy that. And so when you look at some of these other teams in the mix, the Cardinals mentioned them. You could They could cut Palmer if he doesn't retire, save $14 million. They would have the room. But if you're Kirk Cousins, do you go there? Now that's a contending team right now. But Bruce Arians... He's had some health issues. How much longer is he around? He just made a comment that he's at least here for one more year. That may not be something that you want to hear if you're Kirk Cousins. Larry Fitzgerald, this might be his last year. If he leaves, what are you left with? You're left with David Johnson and a ton of question marks offensively and a defense that just lost Calais Campbell, Tony Jefferson, Alex Okafor, Keith Minter. So the Cardinals, an interesting team, but I don't know if they would be considered a front runner. I threw the Bills in the mix. I don't think that's a situation that's going to happen, but they could move on from Tyrod Taylor, saving just shy of $10 million. That being said, you have to wonder if you're Cousins. Is that somewhere you want to go? 
you're at a fairly dysfunctional organization right now. The Bills are dysfunctional at the moment. The weather is terrible. Tough place to play in if you're a quarterback. The wide receivers, you don't know what you're getting there. Sammy Watkins is slated for free agency after this year. And beyond him, it's a bunch of anonymous players. And you're going to a place where you have Sean McDermott as a head coach. That's no knock on McDermott. I think he's going to be excellent. But he's a defensive-minded head coach. With the 49ers, promise we'd circle back to them. So let's get to that here. Shanahan, we know he's there. Question is, if you're the 49ers, much like the Jets, you're in a full-scale rebuild. Now, I think the 49ers are further along because there's some real talent on the defensive side of the ball. And you could make the argument that if Cousins goes there, all of a sudden, a viable team. But if you're the Niners, would you rather get a Sam Darnold, a Josh Allen, a Josh Rosen, maybe somebody else who rises up through the ranks throughout college football this year? Save a lot of money, rookie contract. That's a possibility. And then as far as anybody else getting into the mix, you know, the Redskins could certainly still sign him. There's nothing saying they can't, but you've had two years to get it done. If you haven't gotten it done by now, what is the reason to think that it's going to happen? I don't buy that reason. I think maybe they slapped they slap the transition tag on him. Um, but I, I think ultimately, and by the way, the, the transition tag for anyone who doesn't know is, it's a it's at a lower number than the franchise tag would be. I believe it would be about twenty seven million next year for him, as opposed to thirty four million. But teams can make offers, and if the Redskins don't match, you get nothing in return. Whereas on a franchise tag, you, you get multiple picks in return. Um, so that would be the difference. I could see the Redskins doing that, just giving themselves a chance to match. But I don't see the point. Uh, he's going to get a gigantic offer, multiple gigantic offers, and so. Cousins is he's going to get paid in a very significant way, one way or the other. And I think I think he sets all kinds of records. Uh, and, and we'll ask Joel about that in a minute. But before we get to, to Mr. Corey, news that broke right before we went on the podcast. The Carolina Panthers fired general manager David Gettleman just days before training camp started. He spent four years on the job there, did a heck of a job, won three NFC South titles, Went to the Super Bowl, of course, team went 15-1. Almost had an undefeated regular season or 14-0. Cam Newton, MVP of that year. Gettleman, 66 years old, out at Carolina. I've got to say, usually with this kind of stuff, you hear rumors. You see a little bit of smoke. John Dorsey in Kansas City, a perfect scenario there, or a perfect example, I should say. He was somebody that there was some talk that maybe he's interested in Green Bay. Maybe he's kind of got one foot out the door. Whether that was a factor or not in Kansas City, from what I'm told, it was not. But, you know, you started hearing about discontent. And when we hear stuff like that, it's on purpose. These things don't just get leaked out accidentally. People don't start talking to the Ian Rappaports and the Adam Schefters of the world and just accidentally tell people, oh, hey, by the way, you know, John's thinking about maybe going over to Green Bay in a few years. People aren't dumb. It, that that's not what happened. Yeah, there was a leverage play with Dorsey, and, and it didn't work out. With Gettleman, there was no smoke. Nobody talked that he might be out with the Panthers. I, you know, People were expecting a year here where it was a reload, had a pretty good draft by most accounts, uh, led by Christian McCaffrey, Curtis Samuel. I got Corn Elder later in the draft, corner out of Miami, who I think people are excited about. There was a thought that, okay, Gettleman's 66 years old. He's probably not going to be around for another decade, but he'll probably be around for another contract or so. Not the case. 
And this is a guy who he had a pretty damn good track record. Kawan Short, Starla Tulele, Trey Turner, Kelvin Benjamin, Daryl Worley, James Bradbury. These are guys who are cornerstone players for the Panthers who he drafted. And a lot of those guys later in the draft. You know, that's, that's a pretty darn good haul over the last four years. And again, this draft class looks like it might be one of the better ones he's had. You know, we, got, we have to see how that plays out. But Gettleman, he did a really nice job in Carolina. And for him to be out, and at this stage, stunning. Absolutely stunning. And the Panthers are going to have a tough time replacing him. Brandon Bean was going to be the successor there and could have been the successor if Gettleman had been relieved of his duties in January, even February. But Bean went to Buffalo. He took the job alongside their new head coach, Sean McDermott, you know, also, of course, Panthers you know, defensive coordinator. So Bean is out. He's moved on. And you've got to think at this juncture, it's just going to be an in-house promotion for Carolina because a lot of teams are not going to let the Panthers do interviews with any of their guys. Not at this point in the year. No way. It's too far along. Uh, we saw the Chiefs fire John Dorsey a month ago. Stayed in house. Went with Brett Veach. Uh, who, who, by the way, would have been a candidate for this job uh, had Dorsey still been in place. So the, the Panthers are in a really tough spot. It's incredible to me that they felt the urge to make this move. And if you looked at the press release by the owner, Jerry Richardson, he basically said, we just we know it's odd timing. We felt we had to make this move, which says something happened recently, very recently. Because if he felt they had to make this move in January and he waited till now, there are bigger problems in Carolina than Dave Gettleman, which I think, frankly, is evident at this point anyway. Team president stepped down earlier in the year. Gettleman's now out. Uh, it seems like there's some discourse. And if you're Ron Rivera, you've got to be feeling like, I better win this year or I might be looking for a new job sooner rather than later. Tough, tough spot in, in Carolina. And you've got to wonder how much all that affects the team. Certainly, you know, Gettleman's not a player. He's not in the field, but that's a distraction. And you know, I want to touch real quickly before we move on. Rappaport, Ian Rappaport of NFL Network does a great job. He mentioned... Uh, there had been some disconnect between Richardson and Gettleman since the Josh Norman fiasco last year, which you know we all remember Norman was on the franchise tag, first-team All-Pro corner coming off that great year, helped get Carolina to the Super Bowl. And Gettleman shockingly rescinded the tag, and Norman said, okay, thank you very much, and went and signed $75 million with the Redskins. And it was one of the more surprising moves we've seen out of a general manager in some time, that the Panthers could have afforded to play Norman on the tag, and it backfired because last year, for most of the year, Carolina's pass defense was atrocious. They couldn't cover anybody. Now, it got better as the year went on, but Norman would have been a nice player to have when Matt Ryan was busy throwing for 500 yards uh, early in the season against the Panthers. So was that the impetus? It seems like a really delayed decision to fire Gettleman if that was the reason. I, I don't buy that. I feel like maybe that was something that started the ball in motion, but there had to be some kind of very recent issue that led to what we've seen. And now for a little bit more on Kirk Cousins and some of the other contract situations around the league, we welcome in Joel Corey, former NFL agent and cap expert. You can read his stuff over at CBS Sports and check out all of his stuff at Twitter, at Corey Joel. And I just want to welcome you in, Joel. Thanks for uh, taking a few minutes. Sure, no problem. Thanks for having me. 
So, you know, first thing I have a question about is we're recording this on the Monday, July 17th, franchise tag deadline day, and barring something shocking here, Kirk Cousins is not going to sign a long-term deal. He's going to play out the tag for the second year in a row. And, you know, let's say this year he goes out, throws for 4,500 yards, maybe 25 to 30 touchdowns. If he hits the free agent market next year, how much money is he going to be looking to command? Oh, he's going to break the bank because you never have a quality quarterback in his prime who doesn't have any injury question marks hit the open market. He'll be the litmus test for quarterback compensation. I'm putting that at a guy who's going to be signing for at least $30 million a year and $100 million in guarantees. Uh, main reason is you could have several teams that are after him, the team which everyone expects to uh, be in the what would be the Kirk Cousins sweepstakes is the San Francisco 49ers. They're going to have over $100 million cap room. He's got a great rapport with their head coach, Kyle Shanahan, has chemistry with their free agent pickup wide receiver, Pierre Garçon. So that's the most logical destination. The Jets are in a rebuilding mode, tanking presumably to try to get a quarterback near the top of the graph. But if they wanted to go the veteran route, they're going to have over $90 million in cap room. I wouldn't rule out the Rams either. Jared Goff has to show something to Sean McVay, who isn't invested in him because he didn't draft him. They're going to have over $45 million in cap room once they sign Aaron Donald to a monster deal. McVay is already on record as saying you can win a championship with Kirk Cousins. So if he doesn't think golf can play, it only makes sense for him to throw his ring in the hat for Kirk Cousins. There are a couple of, there are a couple teams that I see from a veteran standpoint that are more ready made that could be in the market for a quarterback, depending upon what happens this season. Jacksonville is everyone's pick to make the playoffs every year, but uh, the quarterback play may be a hindrance. If Blake Bortles doesn't have a bounce back year, they won't hesitate to pull the plug on that option year, $19 million. They're going to have over $70 million in cap room if they do that. And also the Arizona Cardinals, if Carson Palmer retires, they'll have $60 million in cap room. And he would be a nice transition uh, to keep that team competitive in the NFC West. So he's going to have options, and that's why this thing could really have some sort of crazy number. You know, I, I agree. I talked with Marcus Mosier of, of Bleacher Report last week, and we both agreed that he's going to be the highest paid player in NFL history if he gets to free agency. And, and, you know, when you look at the situation, there aren't usually quarterbacks who are good to very good quarterbacks who are 29 years old, as he will be when free agency hits next year, who get paid that type of money. And, you know, he's not the only quarterback who could be available. There's Matthew Stafford, Andrew Brees, both in the last year of their deal. Brees has a, a void year next year. But, you know, Stafford, I'm sure the Lions figure out a way to lock him up. If you're the Saints, if you have another year here where things don't work out well, and you're six and ten, you're seven and nine, Drew Brees is going to be 39 years old. What do you anticipate happening for both of those quarterbacks as they go into the last year of their deals? Oh, there's no way Stafford is the open market. If push comes to shove, they stick a 26.4 million dollar franchise tag on him. The most likely scenario is he signs an extension by the beginning of the regular season which makes him the highest paid player in the league, which in turn becomes a floor for Kirk Cousins. 
Uh, Breeze is a much harder situation to predict because he's at an age where father time catches up to people overnight. Peyton Manning was humming along, had no problems. Middle of 2014 season, after he played the Rams, never the same player again. His final season in 2015, he wins the Super Bowl with the defense carrying him. So part of it's going to depend on how Breeze plays this year. If they go six and nine, six and ten, they will repeat their what's becoming a usual seven and nine season. They may want to go in a new direction. The only problem is his contract is going to void at the end of the year, and they stretch it out over five years for bonus proration purposes to get a better cap hit in 2016. So if it voids, they're going to have $18 million of dead money, whether they re-sign him after the contract voids or not. He wants to stay. That's been his stated objective. What they could do is they could push the void back a year. Cardinals would have Larry Fitzgerald when they did, did an extension with him. They moved the void back a year. They could move the void back to 2019. They could turn the 2018 year, which they pegged the salary of $22 million in the contract, turn it into a real year, adjust it upwards or downwards, depending upon how he played, and go year to year with him. If not, and he hits the open market, maybe a team like the Jaguars look at him for a short-term solution if Bortles isn't the answer. But you're playing for a guy who's on borrowed time with Breeze because quarterbacks playing at eye level into their 40s is pretty much unheard of. Remember Brett Favre with the Vikings? Looked great that first year, almost got into the Super Bowl. Wheels came off that second year. It's going to happen to Breeze at some point, and it's going to happen to Tom Brady. You know, actually, it's a perfect segue. Sticking with quarterbacks and talking about Tom Brady in New England – what do you make of the Jimmy Garoppolo situation? Because, you know, for anyone who doesn't know, he's on the last year of his rookie deal, cheap as dirt right now. The Pats are letting it play out. There were all these rumors and, and speculation that maybe they'd trade him to Cleveland before the draft. Obviously, it didn't happen. Cleveland gets to Sean Kaiser. Do you expect that he hits the open market next year? and Or do you think maybe the most likely scenario is a tag-and-trade situation with the Pats? Well, Let's consider this first. Just imagine the narrative if Atlanta doesn't collapse and Brady leads a comeback in the Super Bowl. Brady didn't look all that good in the first half. If they lose that game by 10 points or so, then the narrative this offseason probably would have been, is it time for the New England Patriots to make a switch at quarterback? They won. He looked great in the second half, so we're not at that point. Uh, the fact that Bill Belichick wouldn't part ways with Garoppolo when presumably he could have gotten at least compensation similar to Sam Bradford's trade to the Vikings, a first and a conditional fourth round pick, uh, is pretty telling to me. I wouldn't be surprised if they go the tag and trade route. The only problem is Garoppolo signs that thing for $23.5 million or whatever the tag is as soon as they put it on him. And how much then they'd have to work out a deal if the team which acquired him. Sure. Uh, or otherwise, you're in the same situation as Kirk Cousins was last year and you're playing that tag scenario. <laughs> or they'd have enough cap room if they wanted to delay the decision a year and keep them. That'd be unprecedented. But New England does a lot of things that are unprecedented. Having a backup quarterback at $23.5 million would be unprecedented. But we also can't rule out the possibility that Brady – starts having father time catch up to him 
or a scenario I think is more plausible, they are the odds-on favorite to win the Super Bowl. They win another one, and he rides off into the sunset, and Garoppolo becomes a natural transition because we already know Brady's wife is ready for him to retire and has been for a couple of years. Yes. Now, I, you know, I think that's an interesting talking point, and I, and I don't disagree. You know, Brady's talked publicly about wanting to play till he's 45, but let's be honest, that, that's not happening, whether it's because the skills erode or he just takes a hit the wrong way, and that's the end of it. But yeah, you know, it's very possible uh, that Garoppolo ends up being the starter there next year one way or the other because, as you've mentioned, New England, not afraid to be outside the box. Obviously, it's worked out. And, you know, another franchise that sometimes does things that not quite as outside the box but different than most, Pittsburgh Steelers. And they have a guy in Le'Veon Bell who they've applied the tag to. He hasn't signed it yet, although he said he wouldn't hold out. He's 25 years old, but he's a running back. And and while he's an elite talent right up there with David Johnson, you have to wonder, can he stay healthy for a full year? He's had injuries. He's had suspensions. If you're his agent... What are you expecting from the Steelers? Um, I'm not expecting them to try to redefine or reset the running back market. The problem is the running back market has been in decline for the past few years. You've seen deals at the higher end disappearing and not being replaced with other deals at that level or higher. Once Adrian Peterson was cut by the Vikings, his $14 million deal comes off the books. Marshawn Lynch retired. That $12 million extension is off the books. Jamal Charles, the $9 million extension he signed off the books. Chris Johnson, once Tennessee let him go, his $13 million deal is off the books. Highest paid running back right now on a long-term deal is LaShawn McCoy at $8 million per year. If I could get it to $10 million, I'd have to seriously consider that if I am the agent and I know Structurally, it's not going to be what I want it to be because Pittsburgh doesn't have salary guarantees. They have roster bonuses, which are not secured in the second and third year to substitute for guarantees. So your only true guaranteed money is signing bonus, and it's not going to be comparable to what you get anyplace else. But you know that going into a Pittsburgh deal. If not, if they're not going to go that route, I'd take my $12 million on the franchise tag this year. Hope I can stay healthy. And if they put a franchise tag on me for $14.55 million, I'd sign it as quickly as I could because you're never going to make $26.5 million over two years as a running back. And if they don't, I hit the open market, and we'd really find out what a running back could make. We saw a couple of years ago that DeMarco Murray only got in that $8 million per year range because Dallas ran him into the ground in his contract year. So that would be an interesting thing to see if Bell – uh, doesn't sign a long-term deal. That's a hard deal to do for the reasons I've stated. Running back market, not what it used to be. You got a guy who doesn't live up to the statement availability is your best availability because he's injury prone or has durability concerns and also the issues with the uh, substance abuse policy. I can see that one going either way. You know, last question for me, Eric Berry earlier this offseason, much earlier, back in March, got a record-setting deal for safety, $78 million over six years with the Chiefs. Cam Chancellor, very similar to Eric Berry, only a year older, he's 29 years old, and he's coming up on the last year of his deal. 
Do you believe that he'll get more than Barry, or do you think the Seahawks simply slap the tag on him to get one more year out of him before he turns 30 years old in April? Well, they drafted safety, so it may depend on how those guys develop. Uh, he's getting in that you can't keep everyone. Situation. Underdog Fantasy is the fastest-growing fantasy app and easiest place to play fantasy sports. Just jump on underdogfantasy.com or download the app, draft your team, and that's it. And if drafts aren't your thing, they also have a pick'em game where you can win 20 times your money in a single night. Use promo code RADIO, and Underdog will double your first deposit when you sign up with up to $100 in bonus cash. Deposit $100? Get $100 free. That's promo code RADIO. Terms and conditions apply. Situation for them. Interestingly, he's never gotten paid from being unhappy with his contract and holding out, while Michael Bennett, who was also unhappy, never held out, and they rewarded him. I really look at Rashad Jones at $12 million a year and over $30 million guarantees as where you would do a chancellor deal if you assign him to an extension. They both signed similar deals back in 2013. They were both drafted in the fifth round, same year. So I really look at that as the, the best comp for him. Uh, I don't know if they do that with him because assuming Earl Thomas's retirement was just a reaction to the broken leg and he's going to keep playing, whatever you do for Chancellor sets the floor for Earl Thomas, who will be in a contract year after next season. And then what do you do if your cornerback, Richard Sherman, who they kind of dangled or on, put him on the trading block or put him out there to try to teach him a lesson because he's kind of outspoken. You're not going to sign all three of those guys to a third deal. No. So I don't know who's the priority, but it may not be Chancellor. That remains to be seen, even though Pete Carroll has said he'd like to retain him. Saying he'd like to retain someone and retaining him at the type of money they want can be two different things. Absolutely, and if they cut Sherman next year, they save $11 million. Pretty enticing when you consider he's about to be 30 years old as well. Uh, oh, they find a taker for him. Someone they find they get something as opposed to cutting him. Someone would take him as long as the wheels don't fall off this year. Joel, I, I really appreciate your time. Thanks so much for coming on, and uh, we'll definitely be catching up with you here down the road. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. And so you know, now we transition a little bit from talking contract and talking numbers to actually talking on the field and what we expect this year. And we turn our attention toward the Green Bay Packers, who, of course, last year got to the NFC title game, fell short of losing in the Georgia Dome to the Atlanta Falcons. And to talk Packers, we bring on Ray Rivard. He is the Lombardi Avenue editor, a fan-sided Packers blog. And Ray, uh, welcome to the uh, podcast. Thanks, Matt. Great to be here. So, you know, First question I have to ask, the Packers, to me, remain a considerable favorite in the NFC North. The Lions certainly there, but still the Packers with Aaron Rodgers, it feels as though their division to lose as it has been in recent years. But there have been some losses you know, on this roster, whether it be Micah Hyde, Morgan Burnett, B.J. Raji, A.J. Hawk, Josh Sitton, T.J. Lang, on down the line over the last couple of years. And general manager Ted Thompson hasn't replaced a ton of those guys through any real tangible way. So how do you assess the talent around Rodgers at this stage in his career? Well, of course, at this at this point in the season, everybody's zero and zero and everybody's going to the Super Bowl, right? 
everybody says that about the Packers. And I get really nervous at this time of year when all the polls come out and all the people are saying that the Packers are going to win it all because it hasn't happened for the last, well, almost seven years now. So uh, the Packers have been consistent uh, under McCarthy and Thompson. Uh, they haven't been flamboyant. Thompson has very rarely gone out of his way to uh, tap into the free agency market. He's better known, of course, as as the, as the uh, sign and keep his own guys, which for the most part he has done pretty well. Um, yeah, they've had some losses with uh, this offseason. But, you know, when you look at how Thompson goes about uh, restocking with young guys um, around Rodgers. It's really, it's really pretty impressive. Um, and he did take the step this year, bringing in uh, Martellus Bennett, uh, Lance Kendricks, um, and a few other guys, that, um, Jerry Evans along the offensive line that are really going to, uh, um, the, the veterans who are going to fall into place and, and really help uh the the offense so that's actually a a perfect uh segue really i was going to ask you about ted thompson never brings in free agents ever the packers are always known for being so quiet during free agency and yet they do bring in bennett and kendricks and evans what does that say to you in terms of what thompson may think of the team and the window that it currently has i i think it it speaks volumes to the fact that you know the nfl is a win now league and you gotta you gotta bend the rules every now and again, uh, Ted. And and you gotta go out and get guys who are gonna who are gonna help specific positions uh, become stronger. He did that with the tight end. He did that, you know, when he lost he lost Lang in free agency to to Detroit, and he brings in Evans on on just a really ridiculously low contract uh, for that guy. Um, so he should be able to, you know, plug in, but you're right. Thompson, you know, he's, he's never stuck his toe very deep into free agency. You know, you can look at Charles Woodson and, and, uh, uh, you know, uh, a few of those, uh, uh, peppers who came in three years ago, you know, you can look at guys like that who had impacts. And I think Thompson is, is very selective in his free agency picks and, uh, I guess the ones that he's gone out and gotten have been, you know, pretty successful. So I, I think he's done a good job in, in that department this year. Uh, what next year brings, who knows? He probably, if he's even with the Packers, he'll probably go back to his, his standard operating procedure. But uh, yeah, that's kind of the way he operates and um, we got to live with it. You know, staying off but close to the field with the Packers, you know, I look at Mike McCarthy, and he's somebody who, of course, he won a Super Bowl with the team. He's been there now for a decade. And last year, midway through the year when the Packers were scuffling, he was on what appeared to be a very hot seat, at least nationally. A lot of people thinking maybe it's time to move on. Is there discord between he and Rodgers? And I'm curious your thoughts. Do you believe McCarthy is the kind of coach that could win another title, you know, chiefly due to you know his his talents that he brings to the organization or do you believe that McCarthy is and maybe has been always a product of Rodgers and his brilliance? Well, I think it's a combination of things. When you have, you know, two quarter, two Hall of Fame quarterbacks back to back under your guidance, uh, yeah, that's going to help your record. There's no question about it. Aaron Rodgers wins 
football games for the Green Bay Packers. That's why they pay him $20 million a year. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that 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 uh, McCarthy is a slouch. By no means is he. He's a top five NFL coach. Uh, he's proven it with division wins after division wins, big game wins after big game wins. The only thing that, of course, is haunting him is getting deep in the playoffs and losing in the divisional round or the or the championship game, you know. Uh, 2014 was probably their best chance, um, and they blew it in, in Seattle. Uh, but, you know, sure, the head coach is responsible for all that, and Mike McCarthy would be the first to admit it. But uh, he's, yeah, he was on the hot seat. Packers were, you know, weren't doing very well last year, the first half of the season. But Mike has always been one to face adversity really well. And he grooms his players to do the same. They don't panic. They go out and they play football. It, I mean, after all, it's just a game. And, uh, you know, he's, he, he's, uh, he's one of the best, Mike, uh, Matt. He's, he, Mike is, uh, you know, he, he's just a plain old, hardworking, blue-collar coach who uh, gets the best out of his guys. And I, I have no problem. You know, everybody can uh, screams about his play calling being co too conservative and so forth. He wins football games, and that's what the Green Bay Packers is all about. So I have no problems with with Mike McCarthy, and I don't think Aaron Rodgers does either. You know, I don't disagree. I think McCarthy gets more flack than he truly deserves. But you know, one area that's going to need to be coached up specifically this season, and of course you know, on the defensive side of the ball, being the secondary. Mm -hmm. Last year. I think the Packers have one of the better rosters in football, even Rodgers aside. Certainly the talent is evident. But, you know, other than HaHa -Ha Clinton Dix, uh, it was a struggle at times last year. And certainly in the playoffs, as injuries began to mount and things of that nature. Do you believe that the secondary is still a weak link? Or do you believe they can surprise some people a little bit who maybe are looking at that and saying, well, that's the Achilles heel in Green Bay? Yeah. Well, last year it certainly was. Um, you got to remember those young guys got another year under the belt. Uh, and there were some significant injuries in the defensive backfield, especially with uh, Quinton Rollins and Demarius Randall. Um, they were shells of themselves as rookies in that second year. I think we're going to see a turnaround from those guys. And with the addition of Kevin King, uh, the rookie out of Washington, I, I think the, I'm hoping the defensive backfield will be shored up. I mean, you know, you got guys like Ladarius Gunter, and, and they're bringing back Devon House um, with a lot of experience. So I think Thompson has done a pretty good job of shoring up the position. Now it's just up to those guys to get out there and, and you know, execute the X's and O's um, for the defense. And that's what it comes down to. I think, you know, right now we don't know what we have you get in you get into a couple three uh exhibition uh preseason games we'll know a little better what those guys can do and then and then that's off to the races come september so um, I'm, i i got my fingers crossed matt that that the thing that things are fixed and uh but you know if it's not the defensive backfield it's going to be somewhere else where you're going to have an achilles heel 
every football team has them. And, and like I say, it's up to the coaches to make, make sure that they have the right players in place to make plays and, and win games. So that, that's kind of where we're at. My, my last question for you, and I'll, I'll put you on the spot a little bit. Last year, the Packers go to the NFC title game, as mentioned a few minutes ago, of course, losing to the Falcons after beating the Cowboys, one of the best games all year long in the NFL. Do you believe they can take the next step, they can get to the Super Bowl? And, and really more so, where would you put the Packers if you had to in the NFC power rankings heading into the season? Uh, they're top five for sure. Um, maybe top three. Um, you know, you got, you got Atlanta and Seattle in there. You got Dallas in there. Um, so, uh, yeah, they can absolutely take the next step. And with, with the addition of guys like Bennett and, and uh, Kendricks and Evans and uh, bringing in a, a bunch of rookies who uh, – and another thing that we haven't talked about is the running game, which is uh, made up of a converted wide receiver and a bunch of rookies. So, um, you know, there's going to be – there's going to be a lot of questions heading into the season and throughout the season. But, uh, boy, you know, they – in my mind, the Packers have as good a shot as anybody to make it to the Super Bowl. We all know it comes down to bounces, comes down to a few uh, um, lucky breaks here and there, and some big plays. And and you know, pretty soon you're you're deep in the playoffs and looking at a Super Bowl. And I just hope, my hope, is that they can get over the hump this year because the last few years, uh, you know, they they've uh, they toyed with us a little bit and, you know, they've gotten deep in the playoffs and just couldn't, couldn't get over that hump. So I'm hoping that this year is the year uh, that they can do that with the additions that they have. Well, Ray, I, uh, I, I, first off, I thank you for coming on, giving us a few minutes, terrific stuff and, and good luck to your Packers this year. Hopefully they don't <laughs> toy with you again. Yeah, right. And, and to your Kansas city chiefs too. Uh, you know, I, uh, <laughs> I expect to be toyed with every year, and they never disappoint. Uh, right. Ray, thank you very much. I appreciate a few minutes. You bet. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. Take care, Ray. Yep. And again, we just want to thank Ray for his time. Uh, good insight on the Green Bay team that I expect to not only win the North, but to be right in the battle for the Super Bowl. It seems every year, as long as they have Aaron Rodgers and he's healthy, the Packers are going to be in the conversation. We saw last year, I believe they started four and six, they almost run the entire table. They did run the regular season table, win a couple of playoff games, win the division, and then, of course, fall to Atlanta. But you've got to think that Green Bay, come second weekend, third weekend in January, still going to be right there. And really, maybe just a question of whether or not they can get themselves uh, into an advantageous situation with getting home field advantage in the playoffs. Because Lambeau, of course, is such an advantage, especially as the weather turns cold. Now, speaking of a team that doesn't play in cold weather and hasn't had Super Bowl aspirations recently, the Jacksonville Jaguars, and this week's segment of Dying on That Hill with Josh Hill is going to center around Jacksonville. And Josh, I'll, I'll hand you the floor. Uh, what is your Dying on the Hill prediction this week? Uh, the last couple of weeks have been a little negative, so I figured maybe we can turn it around for the people of Duval County. Uh, I think the Jacksonville Jaguars' defense is going to be a top 10 
at least a top 15 defense this year. I really think the hill that I'm going to die on is it's going to be a top 10 defense. Because if you look at the roster... At Progressive, you can get 24-7 protection, even if you break the space-time continuum. Ted, wake up. Huh? You look exactly like me. I am you, Ted, from the future. You need to call Progressive. What? Why? Well, they have 24-7 protection when you bundle your home and auto. And my teleportation cube just smashed into your car. Wait, you crashed into my car? Technically, it's our car. Progressive offers more than a great price when you bundle home and auto. We offer round-the-clock protection, which literally means anytime. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers and subject to policy terms. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. That they have. The talents that they added in the offseason, like Calais Campbell. They've got A.J. Boye in the secondary now. Barry Church is there. And then if these young guys like Jalen Ramsey and Miles Jack and uh, Dante Fowler come around... This was always going to be a bootstrapped type of defense that was going to have to make itself. I know they tried to build it in free agency a couple of years, and they're kind of doing it now. But if it all comes together this year, which it looks like it's going to, at least on paper, that's going to be a really good defense. And they're going to lose offensively, not defensively. You know, last year, Jacksonville, in terms of yardage, ranked sixth overall. And that in spite of the fact that they were only tied for 19th in sacks. Nobody had more than eight. They had 33 as a team. But when you looked at the pass defense, Jacksonville was able to do some things. They were second in the league in yards per attempt allowed, 6.6. Only Denver was better. And they were fifth against the pass, again, in yardage overall. Now, part of that may be, well, teams weren't throwing the ball later in the games against Jacksonville because they were running out the clock. But Still, that yards per attempt stat bears out, and it's second. And then they add A.J. Boye, who was my top free agent in free agency. So I, I think Jacksonville does have some pieces, but you like them to be a, a top unit comparatively to maybe what they've been in the past, even though sixth overall last year, sure. I think there was the feeling, though, that maybe that defense – that. The statistics didn't quite bear out what you saw on film of that team. No, because you, when you have Blake Bortles as your quarterback, who's not really giving you any kind of help, that's never going to be something that the defense is going to you know, be able to dig themselves out of all the time. But if you look at uh, yards per offensive play, the pro football reference does a really good job putting these stats together. They averaged five yards per offensive play. Or some, somewhere around there, which, is, which puts them right with the Seattle Seahawks defense, which, which averaged the exact same. And if there's one team that's, that Jacksonville has consistently been linked to, whether it's from the signings or the head coaching hires, it's been Seattle. They've really kind of modeled themselves after that Seattle defense. And I think that this year, if those young guys can get it together and you're bringing in this veteran talent, they've made some smart decisions. It's not like they're out there just spending money flippantly and bringing in these guys that aren't going to help them. They've got talent on paper to be a really, really good defense. And, you know, it's been a long time since football has been exciting in Jacksonville. Offensively, say what you will about that. Defensively, I think this is where they make their mark this year. Yeah, the Jaguars, I'm usually somebody who says, I'm not big on teams going out and building a roster through free agency. And that's something Jacksonville's done in recent years, really over the last decade. And if you look at some of their picks, Jacksonville typically picks in the top 10 every year. And you're talking about Justin Blackman and Blaine Gabbard and Luke Jokel and so on and so forth. I'm not trying to depress anyone. Uh, But it's been a struggle. Last year, I thought Jacksonville got it right. Jalen Ramsey and then Miles Jack in the second round. Jack should be even healthier this year. You know, last year was coming off the knee injury. So, you talk about him, Dante Fowler. He's coming second year now off of what was a torn ACL. 
the, the pieces are certainly there. And then they added Calais Campbell in free agency, who, well, he's 30 years old, but he's coming off an eight-sack season, which would have led or tied for the lead anyway in sacks for Jacksonville. I think the biggest question for me is, can that defense start taking the ball away? Last year, only seven interceptions. No team had fewer or even the same dead last in the league. So can Boye, can he fix that? Of course, comes over from Houston Texans' new scheme, but he does give them a star playmaker opposite of Ramsey, so teams can't just throw away from Ramsey anymore. And then you look at the schedule that they have, too. You know, it's not necessarily the easiest schedule in the world, but they start the season against the Texans, which who knows what's going on with that quarterback situation. If you're seeing, you know, a rookie quarterback in his first game, that defense might be able to make a good start to the season. Then Tennessee, Baltimore, the Jets, there's games in there where they're going to struggle. I'm not saying that they're going to go out and be the best defense in the league this year, but I think that this is where they're going to make a leap, where the narrative in the offseason switches from, are the Jaguars ever going to figure it out? Two, this defense is really, really good. They need somebody other than Blake Bortles. They're probably still get a relatively high draft pick. Maybe they can take a quarterback in the first round of Lamar Jackson, whoever comes out. But this is the season where I think the Jaguars are going to start to turn it around, and that starts defensively. And I'll reference, you know, my, my Buccaneers. In the first half of the season last year, they were, you know, a tire fire for the most part. But the defense really turned it on in the second half of the season. And now they've got a franchise quarterback. They've got a really good offense. And things are starting to come together. And I think that if Jacksonville can defensively get things together, you're looking at, you know, Leonard Fournette on offense, some weapons on that side, get a good quarterback in there. All of a sudden, a very weak AFC South is has another contender. And a real one, not a phony one like, you know, Houston or Indianapolis on a bad year. I think really the key for Jacksonville contending, and you talked about earlier, is, is Bortles. He doesn't mm-hmm. have to be Andrew Luck. He just can't turn the ball over constantly. And he's always been among the lead leaders, if I could speak, in interceptions. And, you know, last year, Jacksonville ranked 30th in turnover ratio. And a part of that was the defense didn't take the ball away. Again, we, we talked about seven interceptions dead last in the league. But part of that also, of course, is the offense giving the ball away. And there are multiple games. If you go through the, through the film, you go through the box scores, it, Jacksonville was not that far away in some of these games. But they would just be negative three, negative four in the turnover ratio. You have no chance. Last year, you look at all the metrics for the Jaguars' defense, all the advanced metrics, and even not so advanced, just things like yards per attempt against, things of that nature. They were toward the top of the league. But then you look at points allowed, they're 25th. They average 25 points per game against. Well, part of that is because your offense is busy giving the air team the ball to 20. So if Bortles can just mitigate turning the ball over, if he can be a little bit more Alex Smithian, maybe Jacksonville actually has a shot to get into the playoff mix. Because I will agree with you, the defensive talent is excellent. Where I disagree that they could be top 10, depending on your definition of top 10, if you're going by yards or points, is just... I don't think Blake Bortles can beat Alex Smith, and I'm expecting another you know, 17 to 20 interceptions. Yeah, that, that's going to be the real key to what happens here with the Jaguars' defense. But, you know, top 10, I guess, maybe could be a relative term as far as, like, future stock that you want to buy in this team. Because let's, let's be real, Blake Bortles is not going to be the future of this team. He's not going to be there for much longer, especially if he turns in another horrible season this year. So this defense... It's the future, I think. And if you look at the AFC South, the reason that the Texans have been competitive, J.J. Watt in the defense, and they've had, what, a, you know, a traffic cone at quarterback. 
Same thing in Indianapolis. They've been able to, when they struggled, it's because the defense wasn't doing well and it was because the offense was really hurting them. Jacksonville needs to figure something out on the offensive side of the ball. I think the defensive side of things are figured out, but I'll die on this hill that the Jaguars' defense, this is the year that they arrive, and it's going to be a top-10 arrival. Well, that's it's quite a hill to die on. And by the way, <laughs> I, I think that, and I know the yearbooks for each team, they've, they've already come out you know months ago, but I think if the NFL films, people want to go back, maybe – that's what the Houston Texans, the yearbook, should have been called. A road cone a quarterback. <laughs> and I'll tell you, they would have been better off because at least the road cone wouldn't have thrown all those picks. But in any event, uh, so you're dying on the hill, Jaguars top 10 defense. We'll see how it plays out. That's one I, I look forward to revisiting, either because you're going to look like a genius or because Jacksonville's going to be 2-8 and eight and Bortles have been benched for... I, I, who is their backup? Just, just Chad Henney? It might actually be a traffic cone as their oh, backup. Again better off uh all right well thank you uh josh for coming on we, we appreciate it uh, as always josh hill fan-sided nfl editor comes on every week does a million things at fan-sided right alongside myself and the rest of the team and you know, we we uh work together every sunday here in the office and it, it's always intriguing to watch the nfl unfold and uh, get get josh's opinions and you know now we'll we'll turn to uh the closing thought of the podcast and For me this year, there are two teams in the NFL, one in the NFC, one in the AFC, that I believe are going to be make-or-break type years. In other words, teams that if they don't win this year and substantially win, we're talking a Super Bowl or at least getting to one, you have to wonder what the future is going to be. And for me, it's the Pittsburgh Steelers and the New York Giants. With Pittsburgh, some people might say, well, why do you feel that way? They have all this young talent, and that is absolutely accurate. Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell, Martavis Bryant, if you feel like you can count on him, a very good offensive line. You know, most, if not all of these guys, in their 20s. You know, Ryan Shazier on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, it's a very, very good team. And Mike Tomlin, certainly a young head coach, despite being there for more than a decade at this point. But the reason I worry about Pittsburgh long-term is Ben Roethlisberger is not getting any younger. He's in his mid-30s at this juncture. He already talked this offseason about not being sure if he was going to come back. Now, I don't think anybody really believed that he was going to retire. I don't think anybody thought that he was going to walk away. But the idea that he's thinking about it has to be concerning to anybody in Pittsburgh. And then you have Hill, excuse me, Le'Veon Bell. You have Le'Veon Bell, who is only 25 years old. He's an elite talent. And we talked about him earlier in the program with Joel Corey. And he's somebody who, while the running back market is not good because these guys don't have a lot of tread on their tires typically, they tend to burn out around 28, 29 years old. He's the kind of guy you can build an offense around. And I expect the Steelers to do that as long as they can. I do think they'll eventually sign him. Of course, again, recording this only a couple hours ahead of the franchise tag deadline. So by the time this goes up on iTunes, he very well might be signed as a long-term Pittsburgh Steeler. But last year we saw when Bell and Brown and Roethlisberger were healthy, and it was the first time they were all together in the playoffs, things worked out very well. The Steelers crushed Miami in the wild card round, went into Arrowhead, won a hard-fought game there. Bell had... I believe 171 rushing yards in that game. 
But then they go to New England. Bell gets hurt. Things go south. And it ends up being a blowout. Of course, Patriots go on in the Super Bowl. And when you look at the landscape of the AFC, New England, of course, is the big bad bear in that division. Or in that conference, excuse me. There's no question. But Pittsburgh's probably the second best team. You could make an argument for Kansas City. Some will make an argument for Oakland. Uh, I won't. I think the Steelers are the second best team with the only team that can challenge them other than the Patriots being the Chiefs if the Chiefs can get a little more out of Alex Smith. And, of course, that's a huge if. The Steelers have a division right now that they should win and should win fairly easily. I think Baltimore is a good team. Cincinnati, a little bit of a boomer bust, a lot riding on on a couple of rookies, of course, in Ross and Mixon. Uh, lost a lot on the offensive line. That concerns me. I feel like Marvin Lewis at this point might just be a little bit of a lame duck coach and actually is a lame duck going into the final year of his contract. And then the Browns, look, the future, sure. To, yeah, there's always the idea that the Browns have all these young assets, but when do they mature? They probably don't get anywhere near contention until Roethlisberger is fully out of the picture. So if that's the case, the Steelers have a window here where this should be a divisional title. And the schedule this year is not all that daunting. NFC North, it, you get the Packers and you get the Lions, but again, you know, they get the Packers at home. All those games certainly winnable. And then the AFC South, the only really tough games for Pittsburgh are at Kansas City, hosting New England. And then, yes, when you play Baltimore, especially, and even Cincinnati, that rivalry, it gets amped up. Never easy to win those games, but. You're just talking about a team that, to me, has a lot going for it short-term, but long-term, how long does Bell hold up? Todd Haley, he's been an excellent offensive coordinator. When does he get another chance as a head coach? I think he gets one soon. Roethlisberger, you don't know how long he's going to stay playing this game. And, look, he's had injuries recently, and that's one thing that could derail Pittsburgh this season is the injury bug always seems to bite the Steelers, and there's got to be that question of, does it happen again? Now, last year, Steelers stayed very healthy. Bell, he missed the first three games for suspension, but healthy otherwise. Ben missed one game, missed Week 17 as well, just for rest, was not injured. You have to be concerned if you're a Steelers fan, okay, can Marquise Pouncey, can he stay healthy? He's had a very checkered injury history. Ben Roethlisberger, can he stay healthy? Can he play... 14, 15 games? Does he have a year where he plays 10 games? Or maybe he plays 14 or 15, but he's significantly impacted by an injury for a month of that. Antonio Brown, for the most part, has always been able to stay healthy other than that one vicious hit in Cincinnati in the playoffs. But Le'Veon Bell, he's been hurt. Martavis Bryant, coming off a year-long suspension. Does he come back as the same guy or better than what we saw last? Ryan Shazier, I like him as one of the best inside linebackers in football, but he's got a lot of injury histories. And then James Harrison, 39 years old. So the Steelers, if, if health stays in their favor, I believe top three team in the NFL. But can they stay healthy and can they take it? How do you make a radio ad for an 8K TV that conveys the feeling of 33 million pixels with over a billion shades of color hitting your eyeballs? This is the best we can do. 
Samsung Neo QLED 8K, unreasonably good. Advantage, if they do, of what I believe is a very tight window for a Pittsburgh team that might be seeing in a few years a reshuffling of the deck, so to speak. And on the other side of the docket, I believe an even more boom or bust team, so to speak, the New York Giants. There could be a Super Bowl contender in the Meadowlands this year, and it certainly is not going to be the Jets. But there could also be a team that's 6-10, and 10, also not the Jets. And I say that because it seems as though there's a lot of talent, but it could be very combustible. We saw Brandon Marshall brought in in free agency to pair with Odell Beckham. How does that jive? Marshall comes in two years, $12 million, and he's a tremendous talent. You look at his numbers, he's a Hall of Famer. But he's been on a lot of different teams. He's been on the Jets and the Bears and the Broncos and the Dolphins. So fifth team for a very, very talented player. Odell Beckham, nobody's saying he's a bad guy, but he's been an immature guy. He's struggled with keeping his head in the game. He's struggled at times with being a good teammate, a leader. That's something that's going to have to change if the Giants want to go from being a good team to a great team. And can Marshall get him to buy into being more mature? Or is it simply gasoline on the fire? We're going to have to find out throughout the year. I personally believe Marshall will be a benefit to Beckham. But if it goes the other way, it could go the other way in a major way. And that's where the whole 6-10 and 10 comes in. Because they are the offense for the Giants. The running back situation, a mess. The offensive line, a complete mess. The Giants brought in DJ Fluker in the offseason to help fortify that offensive line. DJ Fluker was a heck of a player in college at Alabama. He was a mess at guard and at tackle for the Chargers. They moved on from him. Now the Giants bring him in hoping for a little bit of a reclamation project. It's a dangerous game. I don't think Fluker can help you much. And Eric Flowers, since being a first-round pick a few years back out of Miami, he has been a disaster. And there is no indication that Eric Flowers is all of a sudden going to become a good tackle, a serviceable tackle, let alone a really good one. So you look at an offensive line that is blocking for Eli Manning, who is not the same player he was a couple of years ago. And also, Manning is somebody who he turns the ball over, and he is not mobile. He will get sacked if there's pressure. And so you have to be concerned if you're a Giants fan. If Manning doesn't have a prolific year, the Giants are going to struggle to score points. Now, the defense is great. You've got JPP. You've got Landon Collins, Damon Harrison, Olivier Vernon, Janoris Jenkins, the list goes on. Eli Apple. The defense is going to be what keeps the Giants in every single game this year. But if the offense is giving up sacks... If the offense can't run the ball, if Beckham and Marshall are fighting, it could completely fall apart. So I could see a very, very plausible situation where the Giants end up in Minnesota this year for the Super Bowl. I could also see a situation where the Giants are completely out of contention by Halloween. And I am very interested to see how that goes. And unlike the Steelers, who have a little bit of an easier schedule, the Giants do not. The NFC East, there's no weak sisters. And they play the AFC West. That is going to be a dogfight. The Chiefs go into the into MetLife Stadium. I was going to say Giants Stadium. Starting to show my, my age. 
the Chiefs go in there, that's not an easy game. And certainly not an easy pass rush to deal with. They play the Broncos and the Raiders both on the road. Again, you're getting two of the best pass rushers in football, especially Denver bringing all different kinds of packages. And then you get the Chargers, who all of a sudden, not a bad pass rush. Joey Bosa, Melvin Ingram. It's going to be a challenge for the Giants. But I think the talent is there that if the offensive line is just serviceable and the running game is just serviceable, you might have a team that, that could take it all the way and, and give Ben McAdoo something to really hang his hat on here in his second year, even if not a Super Bowl appearance, maybe a conference title game you know, after getting to the wild card rounds in an 11-5 team last year. So the Steelers and Giants are two teams for me to watch here as we enter training camp this week, and how exciting is that? I want to thank everybody for joining us here on Stacking the Box. I'm your host, Matt Verderam. Please subscribe on iTunes. Leave a rating. Unless you hate it, then please don't. I appreciate it. Uh, we always encourage all feedback. You can follow me on Twitter, at Matt Verderam. Uh, always interested to hear what anybody has to say on all topics NFL. So thank you very much, and we look forward to talking to you next week when training camp is rolling for all 32 teams across the National Football League. You probably know Progressive Insurance for insuring your home and auto. You may know Flo and Dr. Rick. But what you may not know is that Progressive helps employees support over 3,800 charitable organizations annually because we're committed to helping our employees, and our employees are committed to helping others. Anyway, we just wanted to share. We were a little too proud of it to keep it to ourselves. And if you already knew all of this about us, you've either heard this radio spot before or just randomly know a lot about Progressive. Find out more about how we're dedicated to our customers and communities at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates based on data from May 2020 through April 2021. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.